Hello everyone. Welcome to Chem for Real, because research engages all learners. This podcast is hosted by the Chemistry Division of the Council on Undergraduate Research, CURB. We are a community of faculty nationwide who walk the talk of engaging student learning through undergraduate research. Each episode, we will discuss recent findings, experiments, and strategies to assist faculty in defining, expanding, and building a community of lifelong learners around undergraduate research experiences. Whether in the classroom, laboratory, or the community, undergraduate research increases student engagement, advances student adaptability, and promotes overall resilience. Welcome to Chem for Real, a podcast from the Chemistry Division of the Council on Undergraduate Research. I am Vanessa McCaffrey, a counselor of the Chemistry Division. I have affiliations with both Albion College and Michigan State University. Today, I am talking with Professor Bassell from Western Washington University. He is one of the 2022 winners of the Outstanding Mentorship Award from the Chemistry Division of Kerr. This award recognizes transformative mentoring and advising in chemistry in a variety of different areas, including mentor-led research, integration of research into the curriculum, efforts supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion in chemical education and research, and support of programmatic infrastructure. Professor Bassell holds a BA in chemistry from Reed College and a PhD in physical chemistry from UC Berkeley, where he worked with Gavor Samarjai. After Berkeley, he was an NSF NATO postdoctoral fellow at the École Nationale Supérieure de Chimie de Paris, and then was a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Washington. In addition to the Kerr Mentoring Award, he has been awarded the Paul J. Olskamp Outstanding Research Award from Western Washington University. He has received the Henry Dreyfus Teacher Scholar Award, the Camille and Henry Dreyfus Scholar Fellow Award, and the Arlen Norman Award for Excellence in Student Mentoring from Western Washington University. He has been a member of several editorial boards and advisory committees as well. He has 54 publications and 32 of them with undergraduate authors. So Dr. Bissell, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a wonderful achievement. Tell us a little bit about your research and what led to this award. Well, let's see. well, I've been at Western for 32 years and you know, really, really enjoyed working with undergraduates throughout that time. And I would say kind of our specialty is in synthesizing fairly complicated um, heterogeneous catalysts. Um, this research field is kind of dominated a lot by chemical engineers. And so as a chemist, we keep bring kind of a, a, a special toolbox to making catalysts. And it's something that undergraduates can really make significant contributions to. That's really fantastic. So I have a question a little bit more about your research uh, and the students that you work for. You So you say that this is at the, res- or at the intersection of chemistry and chemical engineering. Uh, what type of undergraduate students do you tend to work with then? Well, it, you know, it, it pretty much runs the gamut. Um, you know, I have one student currently who uh, became very interested in a freshman organic, or excuse me, uh, general chemistry class, and so approached me. And so, uh, you know, he seemed quite motivated and interested. So I took him on after his freshman year. Um, Others 
know, it could be after a physical chemistry class. So, you know, in their third or fourth year. Um, I like to say that it's really um, kind of the curiosity and the care with laboratory work that, that's most important. And so I'm willing to kind of accept students with a wide range of background and skill sets coming in. So I don't think there is a particular uh, set of courses that are necessary. It's more motivation and curiosity that's most important. So do you work, so then is it mostly chem majors or chemical engineering majors? Do you get biology yeah. majors or psychology majors? Uh, great question. I would say it's been mostly chemistry majors, although in our department we have a biochem major as well. And there's a lot of interest in biochem and not always are they able to find spots. So I've had a few good biochemistry majors as well. Um, and then lastly, I, I think I've had a small number of students out of our material science program, which is not a major, but a minor. And uh, those two students came out of the physics department. We yeah, don't have really... chemical engineering. So that would be the reason why there are no engineers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. At Albion College, we have a 3-2 program. And so occasionally I'd get some you know, students who were going on eventually to engineering school, but yeah, no formal engineering mm -hmm. classes at Albion either. What do your students go on and do? Uh, what are some of their career paths? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I, I would say probably one third go kind of, you know, the what I would call the traditional route, which is to go to graduate school. Um, and that has been primarily in chemistry, and I would say the majority of them either in physical or inorganic chemistry. But just had a student recently um, enter a PhD program in material science. Um, and then, you know, the majority of the students go into industry. And uh, I, I've always been just kind of amazed at the full range of opportunities they, they pursue. Um, one student is working for something called the Facebook Reality Lab, which has a, a lab facility north of Seattle where they're doing kind of material science work. Um, another student is, is working in the biotech industry, which is really big in the Seattle area. I would say the majority are seeking, you know, job opportunities in the Puget Sound region. And that really has kind of thriving tech and biotech industries. So those are pretty prominent uh, places of employment for our students. That's really cool. Um, it's it's great that there's such a, a strong industry presence in the area that they have a lot of opportunities after graduation. Yeah, one other company I should have mentioned, uh, we have a company, uh, PACCAR, which is based in the Seattle, Seattle area, and they have a a technical research center about a half an hour south of here. And they do, a, they essentially manufacture heavy duty trucks for long haul trucking. And so they actually have a catalyst division. And I have a few students working there, which is probably the closest kind of direct translation of what we do, uh, which is developing kind of advanced catalysts. Well, that's really cool. So do you collaborate with industry at all or is all of your research I, funding through government? Yeah, there was a period of time where I did 
do a fair bit of industry collaboration. That was really eye-opening for me. I, I worked with, I think it was maybe three years with a couple of researchers at Shell. They have a research um, lab in Houston. And so, they, well, first of all, they provided quite generous funding, but also they, and I think this is fairly typical of an industry collaboration. They want to come and visit frequently. And so great opportunity for me to learn about the industry side, for them to learn about the academic side, but also just fantastic for the students who are involved because they, they got to see, you know, something other than purely academic research. And uh, I know that that had pretty strong influence on at least a couple of them. That's really cool. Yeah, that's, I think, something that a lot of students don't see before they get into industry. So it's really exciting that you could offer that experience to some of the students. Yeah, yeah, it was a period of time where I was a little bit low in, in government funding. So Shell really filled in the gap and then I was able to kind of translate that into some new ideas for for you know more recent NSF funding. So it was, I think, good for all sides. That's fantastic. Uh, and then just really one last question about your students. Um, is there a master's program or is it all undergraduate students? Yeah, we do have a master's program in chemistry, which when I came here was 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 incredibly small, just maybe one or two students. And it's it's fairly large now. I, I want to say we have about uh, 20 or 25 students in our master's program. And I've been fortunate to usually have one master's student kind of throughout my career. And that's enabled me to perhaps have a few more undergraduates because they're able to help with the mentoring and they provide just a little bit more continuity because they're in the lab for typically two years. Um, so yeah, that is kind of a facet of our program that's perhaps different than a lot of PUIs. Yeah, and that's really great professional development for your master's students as well to, to learn how to mentor students and, and be in a more managerial um, supervisory role. Absolutely. And they also almost always serve as TAs and help us with instruction of general chemistry labs and a few other courses. So, you know, they get to experience the other side of, of teaching in a kind of a modest way. And we provide them a lot of training. So I think that's really an important aspect of, of our master's program. Well, back to your award. Um, so again, congratulations. It's a really, really great honor. Um, did you know that you had been nominated for this award? I did know. And in fact, it was three three of my colleagues who said, you know, I, we really think you should apply for this. Uh, one is a faculty member down the hall who's actually the director of our scientific services. Uh, that's Stephen Emery. And then my department chair, Clint Spiegel, who's a biochemist. And then also our vice provost for research, David Patrick, who's been a longtime colleague, and he's also kind of in the nanoscience area. And uh, yeah, they, you know, they approached me and uh, I was flattered. And, you know, I provided a couple of student names for them to reach out to. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a great experience. Yeah, it's really special when your colleagues, you know, recognize what you're doing and put you forward for these these national awards. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Speaking of your mentoring and some of these student experiences, uh, what's been your most memorable mentoring experience so far? 
Yeah, so that that's a you know really interesting question, and you know I have to think I've been here 32 years, so it's been a lot of students, but the two are coming to to mind are relatively recent in that they've they've been they were in my research uh, group in the last 10 years. Uh, one is a, a woman, uh, Andrea DeQuino, who was first generation, and so didn't really have the background about how to you know figure out how to get into a research group, and so she was a little hesitant. And at the moment, I didn't actually have an opportunity, but I said, well, let's let's chat again a little bit later. And so she came back a few months later, and I, at that point, I had an opening. And it was during the time I was doing this industry project with Shell, and uh, we needed to be able to make some catalysts in a way different than we do it here, um, because it had to kind of fit into a more industrial setting. And, and, and Andrea just ran with this project in ways that the chemistry was somewhat simple, but incredibly finicky. And she just made it work in ways that, uh, well, it, it, it turned into publications and uh, a, a patent and uh, just, just you know, fantastic. And it is expected she's gone on to great things. She was a NSF graduate fellow at Northwestern and is now a Schmidt Science Fellow, postdoctoral fellow at Stanford. And so... Yeah, just, just really fantastic experience. The other student came uh, a couple of years later. It was a woman named Catherine Miles, and she was the star of our, our Division II soccer team. And I kind of knew of the, the demands on a, you know, an athlete, even at the Division II level. And so I said, hey, let, let's give this a try. But, you know, with somewhat modest expectations, even though I knew she was super talented, and I've just never seen a student manage time in the way she did. And she got so much accomplished on her project uh, that turned both both of these students ended up uh, first authors on, on what I, two of the publications I'm most proud of. And then Catherine graduated and got a PhD just last year, I think from Rutgers in uh, biomaterials for drug delivery. And she's now a research scientist at Bristol Myers Squibb. They're working on something really, really important. And so th those are two of many students who, you know, just been a fantastic working experience. I love what you mentioned about the student athletes. Um, I've had the exact same experiences with them. Um, they know what time they have, they know what they need yeah. to get done, and they show up ready to work. Um, I really enjoy yeah. working with the student athletes as well. Yeah. Catherine won our, our Female Scholar Athlete of the Year, uh, one of the years she was in the lab. So, you know, there was quite the recognition within the university of just everything she was doing. One of one big portion of our audience uh, for our podcast are people looking to uh, break into an academic career, uh, and they're often looking for advice on how to get started, uh, things to avoid, words of wisdom. And so, do you have any advice for future faculty or those who are looking to mentor undergraduate students doing research in chemistry? Yeah, I, I think I do. Um... So when I came here, my background was what I'm going to refer to as ultra high vacuum surface science. And that is incredibly uh, instrumentation intensive. And I didn't think it was going to be in any way conducive to, you know, having a large number of students work with me. 
And so at that point, I really kind of changed direction into more of the applied kind of chemical engineering side, which is let's make the kinds of catalysts you could use in a, you know, in an industrial reactor, but we'll, we'll still bring our kind of fundamental approach to that work. But what it opened up was an avenue of, of catalyst synthesis that I, I really feel like an undergraduate can step in and do it within a month or two. And it allows them to have a bit of independence. So I don't need to be with them the whole time. And then there are other measurements that we do together. So my, I think my advice is really be thoughtful at the outset. What are the kinds of projects that A, you can involve you know, students in a way that they can develop a little bit of freedom and independence, but still are you know, near cutting edge? In other words, you need to have ideas that are gonna be fundable and are gonna enable you to you know, put out some publications that allow you to kind of develop a sustainable uh, project over the long run. So, um, you know, really be thoughtful that it may take you in a direction away from your, your PhD or postdoc, but that you can translate your skills and expertise in this new direction that's more amenable to, to undergraduates. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, so I just want to ask you a little bit more about that, about you know, the projects that you have the students working on, because there, there are two kind of fundamental ways that people design projects. Um, one is that there's a big project and each student has a very small part of it. You know, one may start a reaction, one may work up a reaction, but mm -hmm. then there's the, and then there's the other, um, way or thought of, you put a student in charge of the entire project and they're in, in charge of everything from starting, working up, analyzing, writing up the reaction. Um, what method do you use and, you know, yeah. has that worked for you? I, I guess, you know, if I had to kind of picture it, it would be almost like a pyramid and that every student at the base level has their own independent project. And that typically involves making catalysts. And so they have responsibility and ownership of making their particular catalysts. And then right above that kind of base of the pyramid are some techniques that all of them learn, like uh, kind of the workhorse characterization method is, is powder X-ray diffraction. And so all of them get trained in that technique. They have access to the instrumentation and can make those measurements, do all the analysis. Um, and then above that, we have some instrumentation in my lab that's a little more specialized and a little bit more finicky. And so a more, typically a more senior undergraduate will have responsibility for that equipment. And then the students who are less experienced will come to that individual to do those measurements. And then often kind of at the top is where we do the catalytic measurements and some of those have a little bit more risk associated with them and so either the master student or or me are kind of in charge of those although currently I have to say there are a couple of undergraduates working together that are in charge of one of our reactors so it really depends on uh, the situation but I'm a firm believer in full ownership of some aspect of the project um, because I like to see that kind of light bulb go on with it. And often 
they will learn more about it than I know. And so they can take it in little directions that, frankly, I haven't really thought about. And occasionally those, you know, those become home runs. Yeah, I, it's always very gratifying when the student comes back and knows more about what's going on than than I did as a project. I, I felt like I learned a lot from some of my my students that way. Absolutely. The best part of the job in my book is 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 that what you just mentioned? Exactly. Well, I got one more or one last question for you. Um, and it's, of course, the gratuitous COVID question. Um, you know, the past 18 to 24 months has been tough on everybody, uh, and especially in the research labs. So how did COVID impact your mentoring relationships and, re and research with the students? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, I guess, you know, this all for us hit in March of, of 2020 when uh, we went fully remote. And so, well, from March until July of 2020, we had no laboratory research at all. And so, you know, it was a huge adjustment. I would say probably more so for the students than me, um, because I was able to kind of dive into manuscript and proposal writing. Um, and we continued in a, you know, in an online fashion, but I, I think it was very, very hard for the students. Um, I did have one student win an ACS SCI Scholar Award. He was supposed to travel to, to Louisiana to work in a lab with a wonderful internship that got canceled. And so there were some really profound negatives. Um, but then once we were able to get back in the lab in, in July of 2020, albeit at 50% occupancy, we were able to kind of bring things back and frankly, for research students, that was really the only lab opportunity all the way up through pretty much spring of 2021 because our lab classes remained remote, whereas the in-lab activities at a reduced level could resume in the lab. I think the hardest part for us as faculty was just that we were able to accommodate so many fewer students. And so, you know, having to say no to students who are looking for research opportunities was was not a not a happy thing to go through, and uh, I'm just hoping that eventually everybody will be able to get some sort of hands-on research experience. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, before we go today, is there are there any last words that you'd like to share, or anything else you'd like to to tell us? Yeah, I think I'd just like to shout out for Kerr. You know, I, I joined the faculty here at Western Washington in 1990, and there was essentially no, no real research going on, certainly not in my department. And uh, it was kind of pre-email, and I just happened to meet Michael Doyle, who was in it still, I think, on the Hope College faculty. And uh, I can't remember where it was, but he had this envelope from Kerr in his briefcase, and he brought it out and he said, hey, contact this place. They can be a lifeline to figuring out how to get started in research. And uh, so shortly thereafter, I think it was 1992, I joined Kerr, started getting all the information, and it really provided me a, with connections and some nuts and bolts about applying for research grants. And uh, so I, I feel strong loyalty to Kerr you know, 
30 odd years later and uh, I've really appreciated that that role they have played in my career. Uh, well, thank you so much. That is great endorsement and uh, we appreciate everything that you've done for the students. Um, congratulations again and thank you for joining us today. Okay, really nice to talk. If you enjoy the Chem for Real podcast, please consider sharing it with your colleagues, friends, and through your social media accounts. We release episodes approximately monthly. Subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. For related content, please see the Kerr ChemWordPress.com blog site and the Kerr.org website. Also, please leave a rating whenever you get your podcast which helps others find us. And as always, we thank you for listening.